Hello. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Appledore Research Podcast. My name is Robert Curran, Consulting Analyst with Appledore. As ever, we're here to share insights on the transformation of telecom in the era of cloud, network automation, and AI. If you enjoy today's podcast, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now, enjoy the show. In this week's podcast, we're genuinely delighted to have Jeff Hollingworth, CMO at Rakuten Symphony. Like last week's guest, uh, Jeff can reasonably lay claim to having been there, seen that, and bought the T-shirt in the mobile business. But Jeff's never one to rest on his laurels. Judging by his LinkedIn posts, Jeff is just as happy to share things he's just learning about as he is to offer insights from his 30-plus years in the industry. So welcome, Jeff. Uh, thank you very much, Robert. It's great to be here. Um, and welcome, my friends at Hasem. Good to be back. <laughs> the, the topic of today's conversation uh, is really exploring you know, revolution in telecom. It's an overused word in some senses, but uh, perhaps we're in a different place uh, now. We'll get to that in a second. Perhaps you could maybe give us a little quick, quick pricey of, of how you got here, uh, the, the last 30 years or so in, in your career trajectory to, to bring you to this location, CMO at Rakuten Symphony. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite a ride. I joined this industry April the 1st, which, which many of us know is April Fool's Day, uh, 1991. And for, for people who are perhaps younger than, than ourselves on this, this podcast, I, when I joined, nobody in the world had a mobile phone. Uh, so we used to go to buildings and call buildings and hope that somebody was there. And the second insight, which is equally probably amazing to people now is that there was no such thing as the internet. There was no, there wasn't even connectivity to computers, uh, to buildings. Uh, and obviously then over the last 30 years, we've moved through these parallel journeys that I uh, have lived separately and then come together. And now we're seeing the results of that, where you can't really take part in society without, uh, Having, having mobile connectivity and having uh, the internet. So, and that's just happened in the space of thirty years. It has been uh, remarkable, actually, how how things have changed and how we have adapted to that. And, and you've been, uh, you know, in, in various roles in supporting that change and that evolution to the industry. Um, just. Give a quick name check to some of the companies that you worked at along the way here. Well, I'm I'm originally a, a software developer. I I was just incredibly lucky that when I was growing up was when home computers first came to be, and my parents bought me a, a ZX Spectrum at the age of fourteen, and I started to teach myself to code. Uh, so when I entered this industry after doing computer science at university. I, I entered in in R and D inside Ericsson, so I was I was writing the core code core code for call handling. I uh, and at the time, no one knew who Ericsson was. I uh, it was it was invisible, despite the fact it was in most countries uh, powering the fixed line uh, telephone networks. I uh, so 
Uh, for about 10 years, I worked uh, as technical lead, software development, uh, building the actual systems. And that took me to Sweden, then that, that brought me to the US. Uh, and then I slowly moved into uh, the start of the internet. Uh, now, ironically, before I joined Ericsson, I, the, I had work experience where I worked at CERN. And of course, CERN was where uh, the internet was born with with Tim Berners Lee. I uh, so by coincidence, both of those both of those technology transformations, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time uh, when they they started. I uh, and then yeah, I've moved into business development. Uh, Nineteen ninety eight was when we first started uh, looking at the mobile internet. Uh, with something called the wireless application protocol. Uh, the, this might not surprise many people, but the mobile industry decided that they needed to do the internet a special way that was better, especially for mobile. So they created the wireless application protocol. And uh, uh, of course, now we understand the internet is the internet and connectivity is connectivity. And those those have now uh, come together in a much, much better experience. And yes, I finally ended up, which is very exciting, uh, working with Rakuten and especially Rakuten Symphony. And what's interesting about Rakuten is that they're not a telecom company. They're an internet software company who decided to do telecom in the same way as they decided to do banking and they decided to do insurance and the decided to do over 70 different businesses. And they go in like an internet company and digitalize everything and change the basics of how you do the business. And, and the results are uh, transformationally different. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, that's being a, a software guy, uh, as it were, right from the start, a software person, uh, you know, through that particular period, as opposed to being you know, a, an engineer who's gradually you know, evolved with the industry. And, and, and it speaks to, to this question about whether the telecom industry is is in the midst of a revolution or has the revolution already happened and the revolution is software. Um, and, you know, what, what are we, where are we now? Are we just at the beginning or, or just at the end of a certain phase? Um, and that's, you know, one of the questions that I find a bit surprising to think about going to you know mobile congress year after year is that you, you you talked about things that are obviously progressive that obviously benefited people over time we'll leave WAP to one side but um you know we seem to have gone from an industry that's quite sort of forward-looking and self-assured and knows what it's doing and everything is clear to one where there's a a lot of disagreement about the future you know and, and software seems to be in the in the middle of this mix software seems to have been the revolution that seems to have created this uh, this confusion in the industry you know this soul searching within telcos so I, I mean a would you agree with that as a as a view of the industry at large today um, and B uh, you know what, what do we, what do we do about it are we, are we still revolting as it were or uh, or is the, is the path ahead rather clearer that's a lot I like of that. are we are we still revolting <laughs> I, that maybe that maybe should be the t-shirt for the uh, podcast <laughs> I, I think I think one way to think about and answer that question is to actually go back into the the time frames. Uh, what makes me smile, having been in the industry since 
the birth of the industry is the narratives that appear for, from people rewriting what really happened previously uh, just to make ourselves feel better, I think. Uh, but when, when the mobile industry took off in the 90s, we have to remember that there wasn't really any other massive scale technology industry that existed. Uh, the, the telecoms industry really worked on massive distributed systems first. They are the ones that designed uh, uh, queuing theory uh, to understand how to size uh, network deployments. Uh, so that systems engineering, an, an untold uh, fact is many of the people from Bell Labs who really were the experts in building massive distributed systems moved to Google and helped Google actually instrument the large-scale systems that they were building. It, it, it has the same genesis in terms of, of as, as I say, massive distribution, queuing uh, theory, uh, system design. Now, in, in the 90s, we didn't call it 2G. Uh, we called it uh, mobile. And the magic was being able to to call somebody wherever they were and have them answer. And, and I think we have forgotten how revolutionary that simple fact actually uh, was and how it changed uh, the, the behavior of, of people on a, a massive scale. Uh, now, th that was just voice. Then we moved to 3G. And 3G, at the end of 2G was when we first started putting uh, data services in. That wasn't, that wasn't, it wasn't designed for uh, data at the start. And uh, there were different technologies, CDPD, Mobitex networks that were in parallel, uh, that were 9.6 kilobits, 14.4 kilobits. The, the only data service originally in GSM was uh, circuit switch data which uh, was dialing up like a modem. Uh, the, uh, and then we, we tried to introduce uh, large-scale bandwidth in 3G. Uh, that uh, was around the same time as the collapse of the dot-com uh, bubble uh, uh, or the dot-com industry. Uh, and it, it was only when we got to uh, 4G that, that then the, the data uh, side of telecom started to take off. But I, I do hear people say how successful 4G was with great pride as, as a telecom industry. The truth is that we were a provider of bandwidth to the Apple and Google smartphone industry. Uh, and, and we rode on the wave of their uh, uh, leadership and their change of the experience. And, and we delivered massive scale and growth uh, in that, but we weren't the reasons that happened in the same way as it was really good for battery companies uh, and other component suppliers. So I think along the way of this journey, we, we'd like to think of ourselves as being at the front of a lot of the change that's happened. I think the truth is that we have been an essential component that's enabled the change happening uh, and, uh, uh, and in parallel, those companies that have been very successful and really captured uh, the larger growth 
uh, have all been software companies. I uh, and they outside of telecom, software has revolutionized in terms of how easy it is to write the support, uh, the scale, the speed, I uh, how to deploy it. And telecom really hasn't changed that much. We're still we're still rolling out networks the same as we did 30 years ago. So when I look forward now, I think the the industry is at a very interesting inflection point in the sense that it's opening its eyes and trying to answer how it adopts some of the progress that's been happening from outside the industry and then how it does uh, start to participate uh, in in new, more interesting ways. And the only way to do that is really through a software mindset and experience mindset. I don't think it's that hard. I think, I think we've just been too insular in telecom. Uh, and, uh, and we need to own the fact we're part of a bigger ecosystem. Interesting. Interesting. Francis, I know you've, you've spent a lot of time, uh, in this area of transition for want of a better word. Um, you know, with telcos, telcos a platform, these kind of ideas, you know, network exposure and so on and commercial. Do you, do you see the same sort of sense of telecom as a whole having to find a new center of gravity? Do you think that's part of what's going on here? I, I, I'd start with echoing Jeff's point. I think we are in danger of rewriting history. 2G wasn't 2G, it was GSM. Um, and we also forget just how much actual innovation happened um, in GSM, prepaid billing, um, sorry, uh, prepaid billing is a, uh, versus postpaid billing, completely transformed at least over half of the globe in terms of uh, the ability to communicate. Um, we forget the massive ecosystem that was created on top of SMS. Um, so there was a lot of there was a lot of innovation going on in GSM. And I think the most important thing to say about it, it wasn't generational. So Francis, that's interesting. I mean, there seems to be a sort of reappraisal of 5G going on, um, at the very least a, a recalibration. Um, I think this is the sixth or seventh year that it's the year of 5G is what we, we were told. Um, now we need multiple releases to define uh, generation. Jeff, do you, do you think that telecom's starting to get a bit weary of this cycle? I, I think the the industry has become a victim of the G's. Uh, I think uh, possibly it's the worst thing that's actually happened to the industry uh, because it has is, is made us think that progress is generational rather than continuous. Uh, and uh, it's a little bit, it's a little bit bizarre. Uh, the, I, uh, Telecom is no different from any other any other business. There's two things that you have to do. You you first have to deliver experiences to your customers that make your customers like you, I uh, and want to do more with you, I, uh, and the things that you provide to the customers you want to provide at the right quality uh, as efficiently as possible, uh, and. I don't. I don't think telecom uh, has done very well focusing on either of those two simple premises. Uh, it's uh, and on the production side, I I think the place that we have missed 
versus uh, many of the large-scale internet companies is really around industrialization of what we're doing. We're, we're running massive operations, and, and when you're doing that, the efficiencies come from industrialization processes. Uh, the, so I think the sooner that we, we say death to the Gs, and we get back to the fundamentals of uh, running good businesses, I think is is going to be a, a great moment. And to your point, Robert, I think Mobile Congress this year, I think there was a a feeling of asking questions beyond, you know, this very simple 5G is the answer. Mm. And I think that's really exciting. Mm. Yeah, it's it certainly, it certainly ought to be. It's a bit disorienting, I think, for for many people in the telecom industry. And that is part of the challenge, is that you know, the industry seems to have a sense of, okay, there are some things that we used to do and they work pretty well most of the time, well enough, but that period is coming to an end and now it's about to be replaced by something that's new and unfamiliar. Um, uh, it's not all that unfamiliar if you look at those other industries, to your point, um, and that's part of the learning process perhaps that's going on in the industry. Uh, is realizing just how much knowledge, expertise, and technology there is uh, in adjacent spaces that actually is extremely applicable, um, and that's you know looking looking broader. I, I do want to ask about the 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 other things that change. You, you reference a few different ideas here about um, uh, you know how, how organizations need to change and the focus needs to change for telcos. Um, I, again, I've not been a conference in the last eighteen months where culture change, mindset change hasn't featured on the agenda or you know, in, in the room somewhere. Um, given what you've seen at, at Rakuten, for example, I mean, they still represent the, the state of the art when it comes to this kind of you know, cloud native you know, internet company functioning as a telco. Are there aspects of that you can talk about? What does that look like? What does a cloud native telco look like? What do people do all day? Yeah, I, I think the at a very foundational level, uh, the one of the uh, challenges with with making the change in the industry from the traditional approach to the new uh, software first approach is one that there's a law for this Conway's law, Conway's, Conway's law, yeah, yeah. that that says. Actually, the organization that you have defines the technical ar architecture you deploy. Uh, it also defines the procurement you you do. Uh, and I think that's so apparent in telecom. So if you look at a, a telecom uh, budgeting process, a telecom organization, uh, a telecom strategic planning, it's arranged in allocations for radio networks. It's arranged in allocations for core networks. It's arranged in allocations for IT systems. Uh, it's all capitalized as one vertical uh, investment. So that includes uh, the hardware, the software. It even capitalizes the people involved in the deployment of, of those things. And it's all aligned with doing refresh and upgrade cycles that are aligned with uh, the technology rollouts. I, the, uh, that's not how you design a, uh, a software first operation. I, so in, in Rakuten, I, they approached it and it was easier because they had a 
flat sheet of paper, a blank sheet of paper, but uh, they they organized it in exactly the same ways as a large scale internet company would. So you basically need to have a hardware supply chain. And uh, because everything that you're doing above that hardware supply chain is software, you just need to understand what what different uh, versions of hardware you, you need for the different demands of the software. Uh, you, uh, so you need perhaps a high-performance computing uh, variant for hardware to cope with with uh, high-demand radio workloads. You can have a standard data center uh, hardware for generic planning jobs uh, and coordination jobs, but you optimize out the hardware supply chain. Uh, and Rakuten is currently believing that you can probably get it down to just four different variants, uh, high-performance computing, standard computing, and indoor and outdoor kind of variants of that. Versus a traditional telco, some telcos have 480 different variants of hardware. So just managing the procurement of that hardware, managing the supply chain, the returns, the skills to specialize in each of those variants uh, is really, really expensive, really, really costly, and really, really slow. Uh, so then you lift up, and, and cloud then sits above your hardware supply chain, and you cloud really is just making everything programmable underneath it uh, and packaging those services. Uh, now, if you are in a traditional organization, what happens when you start to implement cloud? Well, you have a cloud for radio. You have a cloud for IT. You have a cloud for core. You don't ever optimize uh, from a complete organization perspective and get the real uh, returns that you should get from maximizing the utilization of the hardware you know, below. Uh, so you're building, unless you can go horizontal, you build islands of utilizations and you build islands of procurement and you build islands of specializations. Uh, no internet company does that today. Mm. It, it, it's, it's purely you're making a platform that you know you can execute your workloads on top. And, and once you have that, the next natural thing a software person does is try and automate as much as possible about what you are doing. Uh, being a software person by birth, uh, it's an obsession. Automation is an obsession for software. I mean, I used to I used to automate things where I had no belief I would ever do it more than once because it irritated me just to have to do it manually. It felt so stupid. Mm. Uh, so one of the one of the big changes is you asked what what's life like in Rakuten. They basically staffed it with software people <coughs> from the other industries, the other businesses, and they all started to solve the problem a software people would do uh, and really build in uh, as much uh, software supply chain automation uh, as possible across just the normal processes that you'd find in a telecom. Uh, so Rakuten has a blueprint for the full digitalization of how to run a telecom business uh, from soup to nuts in software. And everything to do with that uh, implementation is in one platform. Uh, that's, um, that's, it's quite 
revolutionary, <laughs> not to be too cheesy about it, but I mean, that perspective, you know, the telecom industry for the past 30 years has been constantly trying to, you know, adjust, evolve, you know, amend. Um, but the Rakuten picture is, well, look, here's, here's, here's where you really want to get to. It's a very different paradigm. It replaces fundamental ideas about, for example, management, network management, um, becoming automation. Uh, and what you're saying about industrialization, this isn't this isn't just building the, the silos to, to manage discrete parts of a network organizationally. It's about exactly the opposite. It's about flattening things down, simplifying, looking at the end to end. Um, that seems to be the, the sort of ethos there. Is that, that fair? Yeah. And, and I, hey, I mean, after spending 30 years in an industry, you, you end up knowing a huge number of people. Uh, in uh, which I do in existing uh, uh, operators, there's brilliant people throughout this industry. The, the talent is incredible. It's just because of the Conway's law and the context of the, uh, the organizational environment around, it's tremendously hard to move from the existing vertical orientation into a fully horizontal orientation uh so it's not because people don't know what the right answer is and it's not because people aren't talented uh it's just it's just incredibly hard to make that uh change now part of what we do now is that we we completely accept that and what we're trying to find with the people that we work with is we, we call it greenfield in, in brownfield as a, a throwaway kind of line item. What are the areas that you are continuously investing in? Either new businesses or, or, uh, densification or, or rollouts or poorly performing markets. Just take one of those places where you have very clear business outcomes. You want to have a different result and do it a completely different way. Follow. We can provide you with the blueprint that that we have. You can choose the the parts where you want to start first. Every everybody's blueprint I will be slightly different, just like every internet company, slightly different. Mm. Uh, but it's all based on the same principles. Uh, and as quickly as possible, I learn what happens when you try and do this business a different way with a clear outcome at the end of it. Uh, I'll guarantee you then one of two things will happen. You'll, you'll know what you don't know. And from what you learn, you'll be able to accelerate how many places you can do that elsewhere. Uh, I, I think part of what you're describing, uh, is a new, a completely new experience for traditional telcos. The, you know, what does life look like when you're moving 10 times faster? Um, it's like discovering a new taste or something. It's very fundamental or a new color. Um, it, it seems that the industry as a whole is, you know, that, that's what's, that's what's beginning to happen. And software is part of that and cloud is part of that. And the things you're talking about here are part of that as well. Thinking differently about how to organize when, when everything has changed. Uh, the whole yeah, basis of the, one of the funny things is we have this habit as, as humans. I know that, I mean, we, we have, 
independent validation of the cost reductions that that we've achieved uh uh the 30% uh, opex the 40% capex and and there's a lot of uh, commentary well what does that you know what's really behind that i uh, and i we we're obviously trying to do a better job of of explaining it but it's not the rocket science things the vast majority of savings that that Rakuten has made is in really simple obvious things and it's exactly the same as how AWS approached the IT industry the first thing is you look at just how are you let's take a very basic thing how do you build a base station do you really need all those parts do you really need to put the complexity at the base station the active electronics or can you hotel that and centralize that uh so we've taken away huge numbers of parts of the actual just physical build of a of a base station uh where it doesn't need an enclosure it has no active electronics it doesn't need uh the field support people uh well you know when you roll that out at a big scale uh the cost savings are massive uh mm. if you remove a connect a connector that you don't need you can save 80 million dollars just mm. that uh if it's suddenly a bit like assembling an IKEA uh piece of furniture rather than a a complicated network at the site you don't need the people that are experts to be out there doing it that are in limited supply uh you can install it faster hmm. uh all that people coordination all we did was it, we took it away from spreadsheets and phone calls and we put it into a a platform that uh, coordinates what people are doing on each site and when someone installs a piece of equipment they uh, scan it with an app on their phone it automatically updates the inventory we know exactly where everything is and then they plug it in and because we know everything it's auto provisions it's got zero touch provisioning uh if you put all of that together you have radically taken costs out from every single and the three things were always do i have to buy less equipment do i need less people can i do it faster it's as simple as that that's what economics is right there uh so it's not hard now we we literally and i i maybe for your listeners you you can put a link in we we call this mobile as a software and we have written a paper that we've literally released today explaining these things because they're not complicated it's it's simple common sense stuff and then we've been doing it for 4 years So now we do it to in new networks. You know what we're finding? We're taking 40% more out. Hmm. It's is not we continuously are taking cost out. Uh and as as there's more capacity, there's more uh you know processes go up, we need less of uh, uh equipment to buy. It's is an industrialization cycle that you fall into. Uh And I don't think we understand that very well in our industry. We do honestly believe we can't do it any cheaper than we are. And that's just not true. It's just not true for any business. You continuously can take cost out the better you do it, especially at the scale that we do things. Francis, I know you spend a lot of time on ROI 
uh, work in, in the past. Uh, you know, Jeff's uh, eventually provoking the industry to ask some very simple questions. Uh, I'm just, I'm wondering whether some of your contact, you know, are you seeing telcos, you know, turning to ask those simple questions in, in making justifications for spend on systems and network or, or, or is it still a novel idea that you might say, why are we doing this? I think actually, unfortunately, and, and, and I, I can be slightly cynical about some ROI exercises that I've done in the past, which is that, that they actually ultimately come down to a more of a, I could do this in some theoretical future. Um, but the most of most of it is about justifying the next project I want to do, rather than the that the, the, it's justifying I want to build a, a network in this area, or I want to change an OSS system, or something like that. The the ROIs that typically done as part of a procurement process very do, do not focus. They, they they will definitely focus on the price of the equipment or the price of the software that goes on the top of it. But it will very rarely look at a. It will it will justify in terms of we could do this, but it will very rarely say yes. This has to deliver me forty percent operational um, change in that area. And I think that's one of the areas that it, uh, it we we talk about culture culture is 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 the key strand here i i, I wonder actually that when we start talking about the the, the 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 we've got a culture that now is looking for the g to be the so, so we've got a lot of problems now but the g is the next g is the answer to that one so actually from a technical point of view 6g is actually uh, we might have some new spectrum we might have some new encoding in the in the ran network but it's not likely to be a huge amount of technology thing, but the culture of telco is still waiting for what I would term is the commercial solution to to the, the problem. So six 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 G becomes much more of a commercial and culture thing than it, than it is actually a technology thing. And it's it's the problem is you've, you've got companies like Rakuten which are making incremental changes or they're making fundamental changes to the way they operate that make 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 change. They're not waiting for they're not waiting for a G. I think it's it's often forgotten. Um, Rakuten is seen as the uh, poster child for open RAN. But Rakuten didn't wait for the O-RAN alliance. In fact, it was actually quite a late joiner of the O-RAN alliance. Um, it innovated ahead of the curve. It it broke the the it opened up the front hall uh, initially with Nokia, but ahead of any standard. And that opportunity is there. We don't have to wait for standards. Um, things like um, the, 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 there's a lot of opportunities actually in 5G where the technology could take you into a new place, whether that's uh, innovation in the core, etc. But quite often we're so, still sort of sat there. We've got to wait for a release 15 to do something, rather than saying, "Well, actually, I'm going to I'm going to do some exciting thing with release 14 or release 13 or whatever," or I'm going to get ahead of the curve. I'm going to implement something ahead of the standard, because that's where the innovation happens. This, this, I like the, I, I'm just laughing. There were so many good things you just said. I mean, this, this concept of waiting for a G to solve all problems is just delusional. It's so delusional. Uh, it's, uh, uh, to the point where, uh, I just don't know how we ended up, uh, thinking that that could ever be the case. 
the second thing that I really like what you said, Francis, technology is never ready. It's never ready. Even in the G model, we can see that, that because we need more Gs, if we had a last G, it would be ready, I guess. Uh, so waiting for technology to be ready is exactly the opposite of what an internet software company does. An internet software company makes the technology ready. And the true definition is alignment of the capabilities of the company with the actual technology readiness. So for the front hall example, uh, uh, Rakuten really wanted to do that. So they, they wrote a shim, a software shim to convert uh, CIPRI to eCIPRI so no one can see the difference. That's what software people do. Uh, if you write internet software today, you are working with versions of browsers that are non-compliant. There's the shims absolutely everywhere and we hide them and we hide them at scale. Uh, and you don't wait for the internet to be complete uh, because you're going to lose. So uh, it's never complete. It's ne technology is never ready. It's never done. It's never complete. The people who win are the people who build something valuable first. Uh, just as a point, just, I mean, let's just go back to, Let's please remember in 2007, the iPhone, original iPhone, was 2G. We never talk about that. This is when we were five years into the 3G uh, experience. The industry built smartphones in 1998 uh, it, it's to justify trying to take off a 3G business. The difference that happened is because Apple decided that it wasn't a phone. It was a computer that you carried around with you. And that changed every paradigm. And then they went to AT&T and they said, we're going to control the user interface, not you. And AT&T were the only telco willing to give them control of the, the user interface. And that's because at the time, AT&T were really struggling. Uh, and they got an exclusive on the iPhone. And the rest is history. Uh, uh, so, uh, but we, uh, that's why it makes me laugh that we think that, uh, by the way, when we built 4G, uh, the, the real technical, uh, center of it was to go all IP. It wasn't to do massive broadband. It was actually to go all IP. Uh, but now when we talk about it, it was like, we are the reason that the mobile internet took off. That's just not true. We are the reason it could scale and effectively deliver. And that's that the engineering done on that is is transformative. But it wasn't because, uh, you know, uh, we were there. Maybe maybe these are um, the rewriting of history is is proof that we're in a revolutionary period. <laughs> you, you, I don't want to get too political about it, but but it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thought, you know, you rewrite history in order to prove uh, something important happened. Well, there's two, there's two things about uh, rewriting history. You either rewrite history to justify why you are staying the same, or you rewrite history to justify why you should change. Uh, so I, I think uh, the, I think there is an acceptance that the industry is looking for, for changing. 
rapidly and and there is a window where the internet is getting redesigned dramatically uh so we we do have the next wave and it is going to be driven by uh very real-time analysis of large data streams that probably will be machines making decisions that some people call ai i that is happening as as we're looking at it now that does require a different infrastructure a different network a different distribution everybody knows that there is an opportunity now there's going to be a one in a 20-year period for telecom to take part in that so now is the time to to really just be honest with ourselves in the industry and ask what do we need to do differently to to be a participant and a leader uh, rather than being a victim because if we don't change then what's going to happen is that we're going to become uh challenged to keep up economically and from a scale point of view and from a speed point of view uh, and what will happen is that people will find solutions around us uh because that's what really good people do uh <laughs> But that that was a you got me on to a uh, it was your use of political I think you got me into a manifesto <laughs> kind of mindset. We can change. We can do this. Uh, um, Robert, I'm just going to echo the the point Jeff made. Actually, Telco has a uh, once in a lifetime, once in a twenty year opportunity here. But the the, the key thing Telco needs to understand what it thinks that it is good at, everything large scale, are not necessarily the attributes that will be its success factors here. There will be a lot more about being much more specific, much more targeted at what you do, much more targeted at the value you bring to thousands of use cases rather than the, the, the one or two use cases that we, we Telco typically deals with uh, today. So thinking, thinking, thinking outside the box and that ability to think much more about what is it that I bring to value in thousands of potential use cases. That's, that's the opportunity for Telco. It, it can grasp, grasp it, but to just point, the window's closing. Yeah, and coming back, I just, I mean, again, I, it's, I uh, just to to show respect to everyone working in the industry, we're talking about changing something that is so hard to change. It's 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 like uh, the and the metrics I think are a really good insight. Uh, if 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 the industry is being measured against uh, metrics that don't support or allow that fundamental change, then how can you do it? I we I have had some private conversations in this area. And for example, a, another difference that uh, that Rakuten has that uh, uh, is an unfair advantage is it's it's actually held accountable at the group level to very different metrics. So it's not about ARPU; it's about uh, GMS, which is gross merchandising sales. So statistically, what Rakuten does understand is that uh, the more people, more time people spend online, the more they transact, the more they buy, the more they want, the better the customer, which is why Rakuten wants the heaviest using customers, because their business model and the way they're measured is transacting and helping those people have the best online and the safest online experience. Uh, that's very different from a traditional measurement uh, criteria of, you know, ARPU and EBITDA and uh, 
you know, the metrics of the uh, the traditional business today. Uh, one of the opportunities is to break the business into different layers, and we've had some interesting discussions, which is a side effect of of what uh, our mobile as a, a software approach actually does. Uh, and then you can actually start to value and report on the different performance of those different layers. Uh, and I, and then you start to release, you know, like different levels of value where things are positive. Because at the top of the stack, software is all about rapid iteration, quick releases, diversity of supply chain, uh, innovation. At the bottom with hardware, it's all about minimum SKUs, industrialization, uh, and hardening of supply chain. Uh, very different, but we, as an industry, because we're vertically integrated, uh, we, we measure it all as one, uh, and uh, it doesn't release any kind of other innate valuations, either from an investor point of view or from a, a performance point of view. I think, I think that's a good, a good place to draw things to a close in, in this conversation. Um, if I can summarize briefly, um, you know, we we kind of wanted here and there around the general topic of revolution, uh, and, and part of what you've brought here is is the idea that and this isn't about revolutionary technology, but it is about asking simple questions and maybe questions that the industry hasn't been used to asking. And now we have an opportunity to ask them and get some different answers and some interesting answers. Jeff, that's been terrific to get forty five minutes of your time. Uh, always uh, interesting to hear your your thoughts. Um, Francis, I know you're in transit. We lost you for a little bit in the middle there, but <laughs> we got yeah, you my, back. My apologies. I, I, it's a good example of just how bad mobile is at grasping an opportunity. I would have paid good money to have my service upgraded, and nothing happened. All right. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much both for your time. Really appreciate it, and uh, uh, we'll be talking again very soon. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Appledore Research Podcast. Join us next time for more insights and conversation on the transformation of telecom.